Hey, if you have a copy of God's Word, if you'll open with me to Matthew 13, flip it open, turn it on, whatever you need to do. Living Hope, I'm so glad to be here today and uh, standing in the hallway hearing y'all singing and you can feel the walls vibrating and you know worship's good when the walls vibrate. So I'm super stoked about that. Um, Also, I want to take a moment and uh, have a moment of silence for our kids workers this morning. There's a lot of them over there, a lot of kids. Um, So if you see them after church and their hair's a little crazy, then maybe they got a twitch or their eyes kind of blinking a little extra, you just say thank you and send them a gift card in the mail this week, okay? Um, In Jesus' name. Hey, okay, this has been a good week. I got to tell you why. Okay, so we had our first domestic mission team ever leave our church last week, which is awesome. They went to Pittsburgh, five people from our church. Um, Oh, P.S., by the way, if you're new here and you wonder why we just sang in Spanish, that's probably strange to you. Um, We have families in our church where their heart language is Spanish. And so a few months ago, Pastor Joe and his crew and our worship team um, learned part of how great is our God in Spanish so that occasionally, and we're going to continue to expand that library, we can sing songs in their heart language and not just in English. And so there's a way we can bless them. Um, But side of that, five people went to Pittsburgh, ministered with New Horizons Church out there, which is a church plant that's only six months old, um, meeting in a hotel lobby, I believe, or like a conference center. Uh, Not a lobby, because that would be weird. And... (laughs) Man, they got to work in homeless camps. They got to uh, just honestly just help propel the mission of New Horizon Pittsburgh forward this past week. And they're going to be making some videos for us these next couple weeks. Um, A few weeks from now, we're going to have the team actually share with you on a Sunday morning what God did, what he accomplished, um, not only in Pittsburgh. uh, But if you didn't know this, if you've never been on a mission trip, often we go thinking we're going to help them. And ultimately what happens, they end up helping us. And so God just does something in our hearts when you go and serve people outside of your home context. Um, Second to that, I had the opportunity this week to be the speaker for Seneca Lake Youth Camp, week number two, and uh, learned a couple things this week. First off, learned that my time in student ministry has expired um, because I'm so tired and so sore. They encouraged me to play games with the kids, and I'm like, okay. I woke up one morning after playing crab soccer with a bruise all across my lower back. it was fun, not worth it though. And um, had a kid walk up to me. I said in a message one evening that I graduated from Pickerington High School. And he comes up to me. The kid was about, I think, maybe going into ninth grade, something like that. And he said, uh, Which Pickerington school? I said, Pickerington North. He said, What year did you graduate? I said, I was the first class to ever graduate from that new school back in 2005. And this little boy looks at me and he goes, 2005? Oh, that's when my oldest brother was born. Honestly, I looked at him and said, you need to walk away, I'm going to hit you. (laughs) I'm not here for that. So I've crossed the threshold to old this week. Um, But man, it it was a good week. Uh, From early counts, and they're still going through decision cards, camp was about 125 students. We saw 40 of those make a a decision for Jesus. 20 of those were first-time professions of faith. Eight of them from one youth group alone, which is incredible. Ten, ten of them. We talked one night in John 15 how sometimes Jesus needs to prune things from our lives so we can continue to grow in our relationship with him. Uh, we had about ten kids confess some stuff that uh, I can't imagine, um, but now they have adult leaders. They're going to walk with them and their parents um, into this next season of their walk with Jesus. Ten kids called into vocational ministry, potentially pastors, potentially missionaries that we're going to sit on the fields um, five, 10, 15 years from now. 
Um, so God was so gracious to us this past week. Man, uh, it's, a, it's a good time to be part of Living Hope Columbus, and uh, I hope you'll jump into what Jesus is doing. Um, hey, we're, I want to share with you a message that I wrote back in February. I shared this at a conference, and I've been stewing on this, uh, the right time to share this with our church. And I believe this is the time as we close out um, this series here, this asking, or asking for a friend, answering these tough questions of life. Next week, we're going to spend about four weeks in the Psalms. Um, as we kind of close out the summer, really thinking through this idea of the entirety of Scripture teaches, uh, uh, it's God communicating to us, but in the book of Psalms, Psalms teach us how to communicate back to God. And so we're going to look at prayer over these next few weeks following this, this message. But um, I want to share with you from Matthew 13, verse 44, um, something God put on my heart several months ago, so I guess five months ago, six months ago, and uh, just to hopefully encourage and speak and to recalibrate us today um, as we close out this series. So if you'll stand with me in honor of reading God's Word. Matthew chapter 13, we're looking at just this one verse today, verse 44. And God's Word says this, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure. It's like treasure buried in a field that a man found and then he reburied. Then in his joy, he goes and he sells everything he has and he buys that field. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for this morning. God, thank you for allowing us to stand smack dab in what we, we call the middle of a miracle. God, I pray we never get tired of full kids' classrooms and mission teams and God's activity around us, but that they would just become more and more common in our midst. God, would you keep us in a place of humility so that we can see your hand to continuing to move? And God, I pray now as we look at this very simple verse this morning, that your Holy Spirit would illuminate this for us, that you would use it to teach us today. Would you give us ears that we need to hear from you in this moment, God? Would you give us the soft hearts we need, not just to hear, but to receive your word and the hands and feet, God, that we need to live out the truths contained in this verse today? And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, you may be seated. I hate telling this story that I'm going to start with, but I, I need to, to um, set the stage for us this morning, okay? So, so bear with me for a minute. February 7th, 2021, just a few months ago, was a great day in the life of Living Hope Columbus. Honestly, it was a day that was very similar to today. I can remember that day so vividly because it was one of those Sundays that you just, you don't forget. It was one of those Sundays where some of you actually, if you remember, um, week before, we had had a baptism celebration. If you remember the week before that, we had um, chairs literally lined up in the hallway. We had our young adults sitting out in the hallway, putting them, you know, separate from everybody else. But it's just because we had just run out of space. We had so many visitors that day, family coming to see the baptism. There was just this hustle and bustle of activity around our church, hallways, lobbies, everything was just crazy. And then February 7th came, and February 7th was another strong week in the life of Living Hope Columbus. God's activity was just, uh, I mean, you could almost feel it. It's like you could cut God's activity with a knife because it was so strong in the air. I can remember that Sunday, February 7th, where there were families that hadn't been with us since March of the previous year. That, that was their first Sunday back. I can remember visitors that visited us that day that are now part of the Living Hope Columbus family. It was another day where our kids' ministry was busting at the seams. Kids' workers were pulling their hair out, screaming, speaking in tongues. Like, it was just one of those days. We started a series that 
that week on Proverbs called Me Versus You, where we looked at specific Proverbs and just asked ourselves, what's the practical wisdom for everyday life that God wants to teach us through that series? And when I thought back on February 7th, it was one of those days where by all external markers, it was a good day for church. It was a day where you go home and you're driving in your car and you're like, that was good. I'm glad we woke up. I'm glad we got coffee and I'm glad we went to church that day. But I can remember that day where after our worship gathering, we were closing down, turning off lights, locking up doors. And my family and I walked out this side door right here. We had our Honda Pilot sitting out front. And I, I got in the Honda Pilot with my wife and she reached around and she buckled up Colby, our youngest daughter. Sophia buckled herself in there and we were going to head to lunch. And when Liz climbed into the front seat of our, our SUV, she was in our toddler room that day serving our, in our kids' ministry. And, you know, you could tell she had a little bit of a twitch. And I said, go, okay, babe? She said, yeah, it was a good day. A little crazy, but it was a good day. And she looked back at me and she said, well, what about you? How did it go? And I hear my heart, okay? I look back at my sweet wife after she said, well, how did it go? And I look back at her after an awesome day. I said, baby, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. I'm not sure if this is for me. And I don't say that to you this morning looking for sympathy. Don't feel like you need to email Aaron this week and be like, we love you, you're wonderful. That's not what I'm looking for, okay? I want to remind us of this truth that sometimes in our Christian journey, whether you're a pastor, maybe you're a teacher, you work in IT, no matter what you do vocationally, you're a stay-at-home mom, that even sometimes you can be existing on the mountain yet question what God is trying to do through you. And as I've continued to pray over that idea, and I shared a version of this message several months ago with some pastors and, and some church planters, I've realized the importance, and this is why I wanted to close with this today, of occasionally I think we need to recalibrate our hearts back to the mission that God called us to. That sometimes we can get so caught up in the peripheral things and make the, the minor things the major things that we can forget and allow our hearts to wander and drift towards the things that do not matter and forget this one truth that the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, came to seek and save that which is lost. And 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20 says that he now commissions us with that very same mission. I want to remind us today of, of why God started this. I want to remind us today of what God has not only called us to corporately as living hope, but I want to remind you what God has called you to personally as a Jesus follower. Because I was guilty of what, what the late E.V. Hill if you've heard his name before, once said, is sometimes we can get caught up in so many of these other things that we begin to become keepers of the aquarium rather than fishers of men. You see, when Jesus commissioned those first disciples, he called them from their boats. He said, you leave everything behind. You follow me. You will no longer fish for fish. Now you fish for people. 
That's the mission that Jesus has called us to. And sometimes, and again, please hear my heart this morning, we can, we can get so distracted. It's like driving a car and you look at your phone. What happens? You wander to where you focus. That we focus on the wrong things and the church can become a cruise ship rather than a battleship. Jesus never called us to be a country club. He called us to be an aircraft carrier, sending out missionaries every Sunday. We gather to be encouraged and then we send to seek and save that which is lost. That's God's task for our church. That's what God has called you to do personally. That's why we exist. And as long as I'm the pastor of this church, that's why we will forever exist. That's why God started this. And that's why I believe he brought you here. And so I want to help recalibrate our hearts. I've been praying the past few days that the spirit would recalibrate our hearts today back to that mission, seeking and saving that which is lost, helping people find and follow Jesus. So let me give you a little context here to Matthew chapter 13. This This is our passage today. In Matthew chapter 13, if you were to read the entirety of this passage, you would see that Jesus is telling parable after parable after parable. Beginning of the chapter says that Jesus is surrounded by large crowds of people, disciples, that inner 12 group of men that he spent three and a half years with included. But what makes this passage interesting, first off, side note, if you don't know what a parable is, it's a heavenly story with an earthly application. If Jesus wanted to communicate uh, spiritual truth to people, he would often do so using very common illustrations, things that the common man would understand. He was an illustration master. And in the beginning of Matthew chapter 13, it actually says in verse 2 that the crowds were so big and they were pressing so much on Jesus that he actually had to get into a boat, push away from shore a little bit. Otherwise, they were, they were literally probably going to crush him because they wanted to hear what he had to say and be part of what Jesus was doing. Then you fast forward down to verse 36 and the scene shifts a little bit. Jesus goes from teaching this large group of people. Now he moves into a house. And in that house, we read in verse 36 of Matthew 13, Jesus chooses to just teach his disciples through parables. He's telling them more stories. That's important for us to note as we approach this verse. Jesus is speaking to those who are his. He's speaking to those who have been committed to the mission. He's speaking to those that are his followers. And he reminds them, I believe, through this one verse, the reason that they exist He reminds them of the great commission that would soon come. He reminds them of the Acts 1-8 commandment that would soon come their way. And the reason we exist corporately as living hope, but also personally as Christians. Understand this this morning. God left you on this earth for a reason. If Jesus didn't want you to seek and save the lost, the moment you got saved, he would have ushered you into heaven. But he didn't do that. He leaves you as an ambassador crying out to men, women, and children to be reconciled to God. That's why we are here. It's the only reason Jesus leaves us on this earth. So so two reasons. Here's why we exist as Christians. And God hopefully will use this as he has in my heart as well. Number one is the joy of seeing people follow Jesus. The joy of seeing people follow Jesus. Look again at the first part of verse 44. Jesus says that the the kingdom of heaven is like, like treasure, buried in a field that a man found, and he he reburied it. And then just pause here on these first four words. Then in his joy. So so think about this story for a second. Most Bible teachers would agree that this is a parable or a story about salvation. It's an illustration that Jesus is giving for us to understand what it looks like and means to follow Christ. An earthly illustration to understand a heavenly truth. With what point? 
Jesus wants his disciples and us now, 2,000 years later reading this, to be captivated by the supernatural saving work of Jesus. Like the gospel's incredible. I can't tell you, first time in my life I've ever spoken at a youth camp this week, to see that many students like take that step of publicly professing Jesus is the most miraculous, mysterious thing that I've ever seen. Friends, I don't want us to get over the gospel. That's what Jesus is reminding us of here. But he uses this unique phrase. I want you to circle this in your Bible if you have a pen. Sometimes you'll see it in the New Testament called the kingdom of God. Jesus says the kingdom of heaven. Often that's a multi-layered reality. We talked about that several weeks ago. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is a, a here and now thing. It's Jesus ruling and reigning in the lives of human beings. But it's also a there and then thing. We believe as a church that someday when we cross into eternity, that we will be ushered into an eternal existence in a place called heaven. And what makes it heaven is the presence of Jesus. That Jesus is going to take us there where we will be united with him forever. That's what makes heaven, heaven. But here, Jesus uses the kingdom of heaven as a picture of salvation. What's happening? Look at our story again. A man's out in a field. He's digging around. Again, we're not going to mine for too many details here because this is a simple story. He's digging around in this field, and what's he find? Treasure. It's kind of odd if you think about it, but this was a common reality here in the first century. If you had treasure, you would bury it in the ground. You know, in our context, if you have treasure of some kind, where do you put it? You put it in a bank or a safe. That's not what they did during this time. If you have treasure, you dug a hole in your yard, and you buried it, and you hoped you remember where you found it or where you put it. That's what they did in this time place. They believed that that was the securest place you could put it. Again, look at our story again. So what happens? He finds that treasure. He reburies it, which seems a little odd, but we're going to come back to that in just a second. And because he found that treasure, what's the scripture say? He's full of joy. Like he just found this treasure as he was digging in this field, and now he's full of joy. What's the truth for us? This is so simple. Let the Spirit of God recalibrate your heart this morning. There is nothing better and no greater joy, personally and corporately, when people give their lives to Jesus. There's nothing better. That's what we should live for as followers of Jesus. It's the most mysterious and paradoxical thing that those of us who were dead in our sin can be resurrected spiritually by the Spirit of God to where we can then be ushered into an eternal home in a place called heaven. There's nothing better, and that's what we should live for. I don't care if you're a pastor or a teacher or a manager or you work in IT or a stay-at-home mom. It doesn't matter. We live, exist, work, and breathe to see people come to know Jesus in the church and outside of the church. If you can tell, I came ready to preach today. Friends, and, and what Jesus continues to remind me is that when other options may sometimes feel desirable, it seems desirable just to give up, go do my own thing, to give up on Jesus, give up on the church, to just move on to other things. I, I can't. Because I was left here for a purpose. The mission is clear, and Jesus has called us to a specific thing. There's something in our souls that should ache to see people meet Jesus. It, it should hurt us in our gut when people don't know the Lord, we should want them so badly that our hearts should, should literally hurt for the lost. But God reminded me of this truth here also from Matthew 13, that to experience the joy of people finding Jesus, we have to share Jesus. The desire of my heart has to translate to the message of my lips. Now, hear me, back in February, right before I had written this message, I drove down to Lancaster, Ohio to visit my friend Scott Gibson 
He's a church planter down there. He just got his brand new church building. And we took me on this tour of this church building. It's a several hundred-year-old church building. It's really, really cool. They're renovating the inside. And we were sitting in the loft of his worship center, and he's telling me about this upcoming message that he's going to be delivering somewhere. And um, he looked me square in the eye, square in the eye. And I've told him this. I've called him and apologized. He looked me square in the eye, and he said, Hey, Aaron, quick question. Um, when's the last time you shared Jesus with someone? I shifted the conversation as fast as I could and got in my car and drove home and just, just broken. Just broken. And I say that to tell you, like this is me publicly repenting to you as your pastor. In that moment, I couldn't remember. I couldn't remember the last time that I'd, I'd shared Jesus with somebody. And I called Scott that next day. I said, bro, I'm going to make a pact with you. From this moment forward, you and I, we have to refuse to go seven days without sharing Jesus with someone. Like, we have to. Like, it's not optional. Like, that's, that's the mission of our church. How can we lead out in that which we're not leading? How can the desire of our hearts not translate to the message of our lips? And not just publicly from platforms. We do that every Sunday. I'm talking personally with people. I've made that commitment personally. Like, I want to see people come to know Jesus so bad because Matthew 13 right here shows me there's nothing better. The man is full of joy. As Pastor Johnny Hunt once said, he said, if nobody else shares their faith, make sure you share yours. (laughs) I love that quote. Scott reminded me on the phone shortly after that. He said, Aaron, we have to remember, not as pastors, but as Christians. I want to remind you this morning, I'm a pastor second. I'm a Christian first. We have to remind ourselves nobody will ever be in heaven by osmosis or accident. Romans chapter 10 tells us how will they know if nobody tells them. Like that's our mission and that's our calling. That's what we have to do is we have to share Jesus. Hopeless sinners, but we serve a grace-filled God who can forgive anybody and everybody if they're willing to believe in somebody named Jesus. It's the burning desire of our hearts and it's why we should exist as Christians. Let the Spirit recalibrate that in your soul today. Here's our second one and complementary to that. It's not only the joy of seeing people give their life to Jesus, but the joy of seeing people give everything to Jesus. Look at what he goes on to say in verse 44 as Jesus continues this brief little story but packed with so much profound truth. He says, then in his joy, so he's, he's found this treasure, he reburies it, What's he do? He goes and he sells everything that he has. Can you imagine? And he buys that field. So not only did he find the treasure, but he puts the treasure back. He goes home, gets rid of everything that he has to take the profits, to buy the field so that he can possess the treasure. Like this is an incredible story here. All of his belongings, everything of value to him, he got rid of for one purpose, because he wanted the field where the treasure was, because the treasure was the most valuable thing in the world to him. He was willing to give up everything to secure that treasure. Now watch this. Here's here's the second point. Here's the second truth. I want us to see this. There's no greater joy than when somebody gives their life to Jesus. But second to that, there's nothing better than when somebody gets it. You see, I I believe with all of my heart that, you know, like Paul says in the New Testament, he says there's going to be some people that get to heaven with the smell of smoke on their clothes. Okay, we've seen that before. There's some people that they're going to get there and you're like, I don't know how you made it, but I'm glad you did. That kind of a thing. But then some of you, and some of you are these people, many of you are. There's a difference between just following Jesus and I believe then those that like really get it. Like they don't just follow the Lord, like they've literally given everything to it. One of my favorite stories to tell, and I can tell you this story because he's not in here, okay? So don't say anything to him because he'll overreact, okay? But one of my favorite stories of this is Jonathan, our pastoral intern. 
Many of you have known Jonathan for several, several, several years. And I can remember when he showed up to church here about three years ago. And it was one of those where it's like, man, we got another body. Hmm. <laughs> I'm not telling you anything I, would, I have not told him to his face, okay? He was just an interesting guy at the time. Two years ago, he came to me. And man, we just spent some time together and he confessed a lot of sin in his life, some things that he just needed to get right with the Lord. He rededicated his life to Jesus. Many of you were there when we baptized him in the middle school over in Dublin. And that was, I mean, that was a turning point for him. And God has really, the Spirit of God has just started doing stuff in his life. And I'm telling you, in the last two years, if you've watched his journey, there is a marked difference in what Jesus is doing in that young man. He's not perfect. I expected somebody to be like, amen, you know. <laughs> He's not perfect. I'm not saying that. But Jesus is doing a sanctifying work in his heart that is very evident to those who come around him. There's something significant, and Jesus is transforming his character. I tell you this, though, when we talk about people going all in and getting it, um, if you were here two weeks ago on July 4th when he delivered his first mini-sermon for about 10 minutes, I mean, that brother just threw the baseball up and knocked it out of the park. Who would have ever imagined? I, I would have never imagined two years ago. I can remember about nine months to 12 months ago when he approached me about potentially becoming an intern, joining our pastoral intern group with Megan and Scott. And we sat down with the three of them over in this lobby right here. We gave them all job descriptions and we're talking through Megan with it and Scott. I mean, just, they're all wonderful. I could tell you stories of them, but I chose John because he wouldn't be in the room today. I can remember 30 minutes going through that stuff and we were dismissing. And he held that paper. Y'all, I remember. And he stood in that doorway right there. And he was holding the paper like this and he had his hands on his eyes like this. I said, what's wrong? He looks at the paper again. He said, I just don't feel qualified for this. Looked down and said, perfect. Perfect. See, that's right where you need to be. And, and I could tell stories this morning, and I, and I don't mean to tell so many stories this morning, but I, I'm praying that the Spirit of God uses this, uses this this morning. I mean, there's nothing better than when people get it. I, I wrote down here, I, I think of the many of you who faithfully and sacrificially give to the mission of Living Hope Columbus each month because you want to see the gospel go forth. I think of so many of you who faithfully bring your children to church every single Sunday because you want to ensure that your kids value, prioritize, and love Jesus in the local church. Hey, here's a little side note for us as parents. Do you know that your kids will never prioritize what you choose to marginalize? Prioritize the local church, and you're going to set them up really well for adults to prioritize it as well. Marginalize the local church. Don't be shocked if they do the same thing when they reach your age, okay? A little side note there, a little free, freebie for us. I think of the countless number of people in our church who serve every, every month, multiple times a month. Many of you leading worship up here, teaching kids classes. You are, you are saints back there. Holding doors, changing slides, running computers, cleaning. We have a cleaning team that cleans and we never see them. But if they didn't do it, we would know they didn't. How thankful we should be for those things. What is that? It's people giving it all to Jesus all of them significant things that matter. People volunteering each month next door in our ministry center, picking up furniture, dropping off furniture, sharing with people, cleaning furniture, sharing Jesus with single moms, victims of domestic abuse, friends from other countries and nations who don't have family here yet. Just unbelievable what people in this church are doing. Why is that? Because they get it. And there's, that's the stuff that keeps me running forward. 
Even on those hard weeks, I think of two weeks ago, I don't mean to to say her name, but I think of Amber serving over here in the Finding Hope Center just a couple weeks ago and sharing with me what God did in her through her to a young lady that needed to hear about the hope of Jesus. And I get in my car and I'm like, I got to keep going. We got to keep going. We got to keep going for it. I think of Megan this past week leading her first mission trip ever. And she gets to church this morning and she's dancing in the hallways. Because she's so excited about what Jesus is doing. And I'm like, we got to keep going. we got to keep going. we got to keep going. I think of so many. I think of Drea up here leading worship a year ago when she joined our church, wondering what was God going to do with her and through here in Powell, Ohio. She lived in Nepal. Who goes from Nepal to Powell? Yet now she leads us in worship. God is so good to this, and there's nothing better than when you see people getting it. It's why we do what we do. Friends, the gospel should be in our veins. Proclaiming Jesus should always be on the tip of our mouth. We have no choice and we have no other option but to go to our churches and our communities and our schools and our jobs and our places where our kids practice and every place our feet may take us, and we take Jesus with us. I want to close with this little story. I love Matthew 13 there. Treasure in a field sells everything to get that field. But I heard this story several months ago. If you've heard this before, Nick Ripkin tells it. Nick Ripkin is basically the pastor to the persecuted church, if you've ever heard of him before. He tells a story, and I apologize if I butcher the details, of a, a little church over in Russia, a church of just a few dozen people that one day in church in a prayer meeting, they believed they heard God tell them, you need to start collecting food and money because you're going to need to give it to a family soon. For several weeks, this little tiny church gathered together, collecting as much of these items as they possibly could, believing and trusting God that there was some reason that they were going to have to use it. Unbeknownst to them, there was another family, a pastor, his wife, and a few kids. It's a true story. Pastor, wife, and a few kids that were being persecuted by the government. The government came, seized them, took the pastor, put him on a train off into Siberia one direction, sent away probably to a labor camp to die took his wife and his three children, put them in another train car off into Siberia where they told them, we're going to place you in a small shack in the middle of nowhere out in that Siberian tundra. We'll give you enough supplies to last you for a few days and we'll leave you there to die. Pastor goes away, family's in this train car going off into this Siberian tundra. The story goes, the mom says that the little children kept saying, Mommy, where's Daddy? Mommy, what are we going to do? Mommy, why did they take him? Mommy, why? Mommy, why? They arrive in this little, little house that was set up for them by the government, and they get inside. They, they eat what food was in there. They're trying to stay warm in there. But they had eaten everything, and the mom basically had just resolved that that was it. They were just going to trust God, and likely they would take their final breaths within a few days. Yet God was still working in that other little church. And this true story goes that one evening, a deacon who was in that church, who was in charge of keeping all of this food and the finances, that that deacon was woken up by the middle of the night by the Spirit of God. Sometimes we hear phrases like that and we're like, I've, I've never experienced that. I think sometimes in tough places, God speaks in uniquer and clearer ways. The Spirit of God woke up this deacon and said, I need you to get up. The family that you've been collecting for is here and I need you to take it to them. And he said, well, Lord, I don't even know where to find them. And this deacon told God, I don't know where, where, where they are. How will I get this stuff to him? And God said, no, you just gather things up and go out and take it to him. He said, well, Lord, it's the middle of the night. It's freezing outside. If I go out there, I'll freeze to death. 
The Spirit of God said, that's okay, that's fine. I, I told you to gather things up. You, this family needs you. He said, Lord, if I leave now, it's the middle of the night. Not only will I freeze to death, I don't know where to go. God, I could be eaten by wolves. I'll wait till morning and then I'll go and send it to them. God, if I go now, I will die. And this deacon tells this story that the Spirit of God told him, hey, I told you to go. I never said that you were coming back. Seek and save that which is lost. Highways and byways. Glory of Jesus. Treasure in a field. Not going to be easy. Friends, we have to understand that sometimes as Christians it's going to be tough. We're going to fall and we're going to scrape our knees. But we need to learn as Jesus followers to wipe them off and we keep pressing forward into the mission that Jesus said, go. We go. And we take the gospel with us. We take Jesus with us because there's nothing better. And this is why we exist. This is why you exist. There's nothing better than when somebody finds Jesus. There's nothing better than when somebody gets it and they give it all for Jesus. That's why we exist. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for your graciousness to us this morning. And Lord, I pray that your, the simple truth from Matthew 13, 44, God, would just resonate in our spirits today. God, that phrase we use, that you would recalibrate our hearts back to the mission of Jesus. To seek and to save that which is lost. May the desire of our hearts transfer, transfer to the words of our lips. And God, would you remind us of why you've called us? May you remind us of why you've started this local church known as Living Hope. To take Jesus anywhere and everywhere, to anybody and everybody. We love you, Lord. And I pray now as we sing that our voices are a sweet sound through the corridors of heaven, giving you the worship you deserve. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.